Well, if you were with us last week, we saw that the Spirit of God would lead the Son of God into the Judean wilderness. And Jesus, fasting for 40 days, would be tempted of Satan. And we saw how Jesus overcame those temptations as he quoted Scripture, God's Word. And we are reminded how the tempter, that's what Paul calls him, uh, gives him that title in the New Testament. The tempter, he comes to us when we are weak and hungry spiritually, when we're in a dry and barren place spiritually, as Peter writes that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But we are told in the spiritual warfare that we are in, and spiritual warfare is very real, that we are to put on the whole armor of God, which includes the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And as we have the word of God given to us, and as we are told to put on the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, we know as Paul writes, also as the enemy in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are told don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. And what he does is he comes along and he tries to sow seeds of doubt and confusion concerning God's promises, God's truth, and his provision for us. And I'm sure that he has been doing that in, uh, with all of you during this dry season, this difficult time that we are in, we find ourselves in, and Satan will try to cause us to act or to go in a direction that is contrary to God's will and God's word. So it was a very important study for us last time, and now we're going to see that Jesus begins his public ministry as we have gone as far as verse 4 of Matthew chapter 4. And we do read, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. So in verse 12, we know that John, that is John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus, baptized Jesus as we saw in the third chapter of Matthew. And in between verses 11 and 12 of this chapter, after the temptation of Jesus, uh, that we see in verse 11. And now verse 12, Jesus hears that John, that is John the Baptist, was put in prison. He then departs to Galilee. Now, a couple things to note here. First, after John the Baptist was put in prison, we're going to see when we get to Matthew chapter 14, the circumstances that led to him being arrested by Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch was the uh, leader, the, the overseer in the Galilee region uh, at the time of Jesus' ministry. And John the Baptist comes along and he rebukes Herod for his immorality. He does it publicly, and so he is arrested and he's put in prison. So we'll talk about that in more detail when we get to Matthew chapter 14. But to get kind of a timeline between what happened between verse 11, uh, after the temptation of Jesus, to where now Matthew picks it up, that he's going to go to Capernaum, begin his, his ministry, and call disciples to himself. Between that time, we have some events that take place that are recorded in the scriptures, particularly in John's gospel. You see, what happens in between verses 11 and 12 chronologically is there was the first cleansing of the temple in Jerusalem uh, recorded in John chapter 2. Keep in mind that there was two cleansings of the temple. There is the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke 
that record Jesus, uh, the second cleansing, right at the end of his life. And then John records the first cleansing in the beginning of his ministry, in the beginning uh, of uh, his um, ministry in going to Jerusalem. And so two different cleansings that take place. And then in John chapter 3, we have Nicodemus then comes to Jesus at night and says that we know that you're from God because no one could do the things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus addressing Nicodemus, as many of you are familiar with that chapter, would say, Nicodemus, if anyone wants to see the kingdom of God, they must be born again. And Jesus is talking to the most religious man in the nation. Nicodemus was the master teacher of Israel. That's what Jesus called him. And you must be born again, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is struggling with all of that. He's saying, how can this be? Can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus said, oh, Nicodemus, you should know this, that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't you know that you must be born again? And then we also know that, that during that time, there was the first miracle of Jesus up at Canaan. So those events take place early in Jesus' ministry, chronologically between verses 11 and 12. And then also we know that uh, it would be that Jesus, verse 13, continuing to read, leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulon and Naphtali. So Jesus, he would go to Nazareth. We know that he was raised there. That's what Luke chapter 4 tells us. Uh, Nazareth, where he was brought up. And he would go into the synagogue. And he begins to read from the scroll of Isaiah, from the 61st chapter. And it was a section that spoke of the coming Messiah. Jesus would then sit down and he would say, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And the people began to murmur. They began to complain. They, they began to say, isn't this Joseph's son? Don't we know his family, his brothers, his sisters? How can he say this? And they got so mad that they drove Jesus out of the synagogue and they drove him to the edge of a cliff there in Nazareth. You can go there today. And there's a cliff, there's an area as Nazareth is up there in, in the mountains and, and on the side of the mountain. And it was a little village then. And you can go to that place and you can oversee the Jezreel Valley. You can look at Mount Tabor. You can actually see clear over uh, on the other side of the Jordan River where the, the country of Jordan is. You can see Mount Carmel, uh, the Valley of Megiddo. It's, it's quite a view. And there's a cliff that is there. And they drove them to the edge of the cliff. And then it says that the uh, you know, crowd parted. In other words, Jesus walked right through the midst of them, and he would then go to Capernaum, which is by the sea. Now, the northern region of Israel was called the Galilee. The middle section was called Samaria, and then the southern portion of Israel was called Judea. So Israel is divided up geographically into three sections. Judea is where Jerusalem was. That's where uh, the temple was and most of the religious leaders were. But up in the Galilee region, the northern region of Israel, it was Capernaum that was nestled right on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee, which, of course, as you know, most of you, which was a lake. Um, there were many villages that were up in that 
that area. And the reason that it was on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee is because that's where the good fishing was. And Capernaum nestled right there, very beautiful. Uh, the Sea of Galilee sits in a bowl. As there's mountains all the way around. It's about 860 feet below sea level. Uh, it is called uh, by Luke the Lake of uh, Gennesaret. Um, it is called Gennesaret, uh, 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 meaning harp. Um, and it is, uh, it is a lake about 8 miles wide and 13 miles long. So it's sharp, shaped kind of like a heart. And Galilee was very rural, just as it is today. Very beautiful, very fertile. Uh, the landscape is very similar today as it was 2,000 years ago. There's orchards there. There's wheat fields that are around that area. Uh, there, there are banana groves that are there. And here comes Jesus. He comes to Capernaum at the Sea of Galilee. And it's in that area on the north shores of the Sea of Galilee and, and the, the hillsides around there that most of the gospel takes place. But let's continue reading in Matthew chapter 4 in, in verse 14 that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan Galilee of the Gentiles and the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light and upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death light has dawned and from that time Jesus began to preach and to say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand so Jesus, he moves his headquarters, if you would, by the way of the sea to Capernaum. And Capernaum at this time is probably a population, it is believed, of about 10 to 15,000 people. You can go there today and you can walk in some of the ruins of Capernaum and you can see the first century synagogue that was there. And, and it's a fairly small area. But Capernaum extended clear along the shores, and it was a fairly large village for uh, the area of, of Galilee. It is where there was a large fishing industry. It is believed at the shores in Capernaum there was a 2,500-foot stone dock, 2,500-foot uh, stone dock, where the boats would line up, and, and there were many other villages that were in the area as well. Uh, you have Chorazin and Bethsaida, some of the disciples from Bethsaida, and Jesus would mention those cities as well. Uh, around the corner, as you go to the west, not far from Capernaum, there was Magdala. That's where Mary Magdalene was from, and they've been excavating that area. So there was also, as in the Sea of Galilee, there was a major road that passed through there called the Via Maras, and the Phoenicians passed through there, the Romans are there, the Syrians are there, many Gentiles are there. And that's why it's a reference here as we read Galilee of the Gentiles. It is a trade route. And if you would come up from the Jordan Valley, you would come to Tiberias, which is on the west side of the lake. It was named after Caesar Tiberius. It was a larger village. And we know that um, it, it still exists today. Matter of fact, when we go to Israel, we stay in Tiberias. But there's a lot of travelers, a lot of people coming through that area. And there's a number of Gentiles that are there. 
Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes that there were some 200 villages that were in the Galilee area. And the Jews in Jerusalem, they despised that area of Galilee. And the reason that they did is because there is this long history concerning the 10 northern tribes of Israel that you read about in the historical books of the Old Testament. And there was idolatry. And then they were taken off into captivity by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians would come into the Galilee and in the middle of the country, and they would uh, settle there. They would marry with some of the Jews that were left there. They were called the Samaritans. And there was this deep hatred, unfortunately, between the Samaritans and the Jews. We know that uh, Solomon, when he, before that time, before the captivity, after David, when he was building the first temple, that it tells us in 1 Kings chapter 6, that Solomon had made that agreement with Hiram, who was the king up in Tyre and Sidon, up in what is today Lebanon, and he had received the cedar trees from him to help build the, the temple and other projects there in Jerusalem. But Solomon gave Hiram 20 cities in the Galilee region, in that area, and Hiram went to see those cities, and he didn't like them. And he called that area literally a, a name which means good for nothing. That these villages are good for nothings. So you have this heavy Gentile influence that has taken place in the Galilee region over the years, over the centuries. And with the Gentile influence in that area, there's all these travelers and there's these caravans coming up from the Jordan Valley, as I mentioned. There's trade. There is the tax collectors that were stationed at different places. You have the harlots that are there, the lepers and the farmers and the fishermen. And that is where Jesus goes. And Jesus goes to that place where there was darkness. He doesn't set up his headquarters in Jerusalem. But he goes to what is called the Galilee of the Gentiles. The, the Jews and Judea despised that area. And it's where the people were sitting in darkness. And all of a sudden, here comes the light. The light of the world has dawned. And God wants to bring light into the darkness of communities, of cities, of nations, and of your life where there is darkness. That the light of Jesus Christ might shine brightly. And we want to bring that light to the darkness that is all around us, don't we? And that darkness might be in your home. Or that darkness in your neighborhood. Or at your workplace. And Jesus desires to have the light that dawns in those dark circumstances and situations and places. He wants us to shine brightly. And he continues to do that ministry in our lives, even during this pandemic or whatever it is that you're facing. And we do have light and truth and good news to give. So Jesus is coming into that area. And verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that word preach means to proclaim, to herald, 
herald, the coming uh, from the king, repent, and picking up from the message of John the Baptist, turn to God, repent, the kingdom of heaven is found 32 times in Matthew. And in verse 18, and Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, verse 21, we read, He saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And as we continue in the chapter, we will read that Jesus is going to be healing every kind of sickness and disease of the, the people, the great multitudes is the terms that is used in all four Gospels that gather there in the Galilee region coming to see Jesus. It is believed that it would be up to 20,000 or more on any given day that people are cruising into that area of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee, being healed, uh, coming to, to hear Jesus, uh, to come and see and hear this itinerant preacher from Nazareth. And the people are absolutely astonished. They are amazed. The kingdom is being manifested because the king is there. And such power, such sovereignty, such authority. And in the midst of all that, Jesus begins to call men to himself to follow him. Now think about this. Here is the creator of the universe, God incarnate, beginning his ministry with such power and such fame and such popularity. Tens of thousands of people are flowing into the Galilee from the Decapolis, from Syria, from, from all of Israel, from Jerusalem. They're flowing into the Galilee. Who would you pick to be your disciples? And Jesus begins with four fishermen, two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, his brother. In the scriptures, when you read of Andrew, oftentimes it is mentioned that he's the brother of Peter. And then the other two sets, you know, uh, of brothers, the, the other brothers, James and John, often they are referred to as the sons of Zebedee. Now, as you look at the Gospels chronologically, we know about a year before this, Jesus had encountered these men. And of the four, Andrew isn't mentioned as much in the Synoptic Gospels. We know that of the 12 disciples that Jesus had his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, we will read that, that they are singled out on very special occasions when Jesus is working miracles or other such events. And we will see that clearly going through this gospel. More is told to us about Andrew in John's gospel. And I think that the reason that it is, that's the case, is because John and Andrew were friends. The scripture indicates that. Matter of fact, Luke chapter 5 tells us, that James and John were partners with Simon in the fishing industry, and you have to assume that that would include Andrew. And most Bible scholars and historians believe that John, of all the 12 disciples, that he was the youngest, perhaps about 16, maybe 17 years of age, when Jesus called him to follow after him and be a disciple of Jesus. 
And I just want to encourage you because we just recognize those who are graduating from college, those later in the month who are going to be graduating from high school, you who are young, God wants to use you. And you might be thinking, how can God use me right now? I can't even go to church. God can use you. And and you are here and I am here for such a time as this. And as you allow him to to work in your life, he wants to use you in a way that is exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. Will you trust in him? And just say, Lord, I want to follow you and be used of you in this messed up, mixed up world. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, was 17 years old when he went to to Egypt, ended up being a prime minister. David was so young when he was anointed the king of Israel, he couldn't even be in the armies of Israel. Daniel was just a kid, 17 years old, 16 years old, when he went off into captivity. The visions that he had, the right-hand man of Nebuchadnezzar and later on Darius. Mary was just a young teenager when she was told, you're carrying the Christ child. You're not too young to be used of the Lord in a wonderful, incredible way. And if you're older, God wants to use you. I mean, consider Moses. He was 80 years old when he was called to ministry. And what I'm saying is whether you're young or whether you're old, the Lord, especially in these days that we are here, wants to use us for his glory. And before this time, John is with Andrew. We know from the scripture, Simon Peter's brother. Some of you can kind of relate to that. Uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Uh, Andrew, the, uh, the brother of, of Peter. Uh, your name is attached to someone else. Oh, you're so-and-so's son or daughter. You're so-and-so's brother or sister. Uh, You're so-and-so's friend. You work for so-and-so. And so you can relate to that. But the Lord saw Andrew in who he was and says, I want to use you. Tradition tells us that of the brothers, Peter was older. And both Peter and Andrew were big guys. I've heard some commentators say that Peter was called the giant. And in John chapter 21, after the resurrection of Jesus and the guys are, are up in the Galilee fishing and, and Jesus is on the shore and he calls out to them. They had been fishing all night, Peter and some of the disciples. And Jesus said, hey, guys, boys, have you caught any fish? And they said, nope, nothing. And Jesus said, cast your nets on the right side. And they did. And all of a sudden their nets filled up with fish. And Peter's like, I've been through this before. It's the Lord. And he jumps in the water and he swims the shore. And the guys in the boats are dragging this net full of fish up to where the shore was. And it tells us in John chapter 21 that Peter dragged that net full of fish to the shore. Big guy. Tradition tells us that Andrew was a big guy too. Slumped shoulders of, from years of dragging in fishing nets. And these two big brothers were used in a big way by the Lord. And Andrew and this young teenager, John, knew each other from the fishing industry and became disciples initially of John the Baptist. And we know that John the Baptist, as he begins to preach, that there is one that is coming after me that is mightier than me. And John would say in chapter 3 that I must decrease and he must increase. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
And as they would hear John say that he must increase, they take off. And they sought out Jesus. And we read in John chapter 1 that Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? He did not say to Andrew and John, what do you want? He says, what do you seek? So a question for all of us in the honesty of our hearts here this morning is this. What is it that you seek? What is it that I seek? You know, especially in these days, we seek just to have some normality. But what is it that you and I truly seek in our hearts? And David would write in Psalm 27, One thing that I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, is this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire of his temple. And Andrew and John were seeking Jesus, and what do you seek? And they just kind of blurted out, uh, where do you live? And Jesus would say, come and see. And it is always come and see. Because that is the heart of Jesus' ministry, as we read in Luke chapter 19. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Come and see. That is always the case. And maybe perhaps there is somebody that you're listening right now to this live stream service, and you haven't come to the Lord. And the invitation is come. Come and see. You see him on the cross dying for your sins. You see the empty tomb because he rose from the grave and know that he is your hope and your salvation. Your hope is not this world. And as we know what God's word has to say, this world is going to get more dire and perilous as we get closer to the return of the Lord. This world is not your hope. You cannot save yourself. Jesus Christ is your hope. Come to the cross. He died for your sins, shed his blood for you. He loves you, and that's why he came. And he's saying, come and believe in me. As you come in faith, you will be saved. You'll have the spirit of adoption where you can cry out to the Father, Abba, Father. you have the hope of eternal life. It comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're listening and you're a prodigal. Maybe you've been away from the Lord and he's beginning to minister to you during this time of pause and, and during this time of, of where everything has changed. And he's saying, I love you and come follow after me. He's saying, come home. You've been away from me. And I will give you peace and joy and comfort and strength and wisdom. Come and see, Jesus says to Andrew and John, and they would spend the day with Jesus. Can you imagine having the whole day with Jesus? I wonder what he said. I would have loved to have that podcast. Kind of like Zacchaeus when in Jericho, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come out of that tree. I'm coming over to your house for dinner. And Jesus stayed at his house. I, I, I wonder what they talked about. But Zacchaeus was a changed man. But I want to remind you that we do get to spend time with him. And I want to encourage you as the weather warms up to take those walks, to spend time, to look up, to read your Bibles, to call out to him, to draw close to him. Because he wants to speak to you through the word in that still small voice as he comforts you, ministers to you.
So Andrew and young John, they come out that hour, hours with Jesus. They come out that time. We read that Andrew, he first found his own brother, Simon, Peter, that is. And he said, we found the Messiah. And it tells us that he brought him to Jesus. And we know about Peter, don't we? He's front and center concerning the disciples. Andrew, we know in John chapter 6, that as he would first of all bring his brother to Jesus, he would then in the feeding of the 5,000 as Jesus He's preaching to the multitudes. There's 5,000 men with the women and children. There's probably 15,000, 20,000 people. And the disciples are saying, listen, it's getting late. We need to send the people away so they can get food. And Jesus says, you feed them. And we know that it's recorded that Andrew brings this little boy that has five little loaves, barley loaves, and two small fish. And he says, uh, uh, as they're trying to figure out what Jesus means, you feed them. Uh, Andrew goes, uh, here's a little boy. He has his lunch. He has five little barley loaves and two fish. And I imagine the other disciples kind of slapping their face, rolling their eyes, saying, and Andrew, he's a little bit like his brother Peter, kind of impulsive, just kind of blurts things out. It's in his gene pool, you know. Peter was that way, impulsive. And, and he would say, oh, you know, it's good for us to be here on the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's build three tabernacles, you know, for Moses, Elijah, and for Jesus. And he hears the voice of the Lord saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Peter, don't put Moses and Elijah on the same level as my son. Peter's in the boat, and Jesus comes to them in the storm. And, and don't be afraid. It is I. And, and Peter says, if it's you... Cause me to come walk on the water. I mean, who does that? He didn't read the chapter. So Peter was kind of impulsive, just blurted things out. And Andrew's kind of, oh, you know, here's a little boy. And as they're kind of rolling their eyes, he says, oh, what are these among so many? Of course. But he brings the boy to Jesus. And Jesus takes those barley loaves and small fish and feeds the multitude. In John chapter 12, the Greeks come to Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. And Andrew goes and tells Jesus, these guys want to see you. And you see, the reason that I'm spending a little bit of time on Andrew this morning, while we have him, because he's only mentioned one other time in Matthew, and that's in the list of the 12 apostles we will see in chapter 10. We see that Peter and James and John, we see them all throughout this gospel. James and John, according to Luke, were called the sons of thunder because they wanted to, Jesus to call down fire from heaven to consume the Samaritan village. Uh, James would be the first of the apostles to be martyred. We read about that in Acts chapter 12. John would be the last of the apostles to die as he was an elderly man there at the end of the first century, exiled to the island of Patmos where he received the apocalypse the revelation of Jesus Christ and called the apostle of love, no longer the son of thunder. And Andrew, as we look at him for a moment, you know, in a lot of ways, he was just a regular guy, a fisherman, a brother, a friend. You know, there's even old sermons you can look at that, that talk about how, how Andrew was an ordinary guy, big burly fisherman, but he was sensitive to the things of the Lord. And the first thing that he does is he finds his brother and he says, you've got to come see the Messiah. And Peter respected his brother enough and listened to him and came. And that's a commentary on, on Andrew and his care for his family. 
He knew, Peter did, that his brother Andrew was seeking spiritual things. And he was a disciple of John. He knew that he was seeking God. And Andrew comes and says, I found the Messiah. Let me tell you about him. And you have family members that need to come to Jesus. Brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and parents and children and other relatives that don't know him. May you continue to pray that you can bring them to Jesus. He brings his boy to Jesus. And those of you right now, you're ministering to your children and you keep ministering to them. Reading the Bible to your children, to your grandchildren, praying with them, talking to them about the things of the Lord. Keep bringing them to Jesus because he wants to work in their lives. And those of you who are, are working with, with children in children's ministry, sometimes you can think that, oh, is this any good? Or am I, I making any difference? You are making a difference. And a day is going to come when we're going to be able to minister to them once again. To the young ones. Keep bringing them to Jesus. And here with this regular guy, a fisherman, using a big way, this big fisherman, Used in an extraordinary way. And he brings the Greeks to Jesus. And you have people all around you that they need to see Jesus. And as I consider Andrew, it's never recorded that he was bitter or upset or frustrated that Jesus would take Peter, James, and John to see some special miracles. He didn't complain about that. Oh, now it's Peter, James, and John. Remember the day when you called us? It was Andrew, Peter, James, and John. I'm not good enough now. Now it's the big three instead of the big four. There's no hint of that. There's no envy uh, of that in the life of this man. And tradition tells us that Andrew, at the end of his life, that he was crucified. As he was martyred, he hung on a cross for two days. And from that cross, he exhorted people that were passing by to glorify the Lord. And I can't wait to meet this man, Andrew, that Jesus called in the midst of a dark place that truly was used to bring people to the light. And then as we finish the chapter, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis and Jerusalem, Judea, beyond the Jordan. As Father, we come and we thank you for this incredible word given to us about being disciples and bringing people to the light, because more than ever before. Always it is needed. There is darkness all around. May we bring people, our children, our family members, and those who are linked to us in our lives to Jesus. We learn from Andrew, that wonderful example. And we also learned that the invitation is given to come and see. So I want to pray because we're going to take a communion here in just a minute. But communion is for those who believe, remembering what Jesus did. 
and going to the cross and dying for our sins and rising from the grave. And, and if you're listening, anyone, and you've never come to Jesus and put your faith in him, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God, to see heaven, to have eternal life. You can't do it on yourself. You can't do it in a fleshly way. It is coming and surrendering your life to him. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Fleshly endeavors and works won't get you to heaven. It is faith in Jesus Christ putting your trust that he died for your sins because your sins separated you from him. The wages of sin is death. And that's why Jesus came. He didn't leave us without any hope. He is our hope. He is the hope of the world. He's your hope. And he came and he took that cross and he allowed them to nail him to that cross as he hung between heaven and earth. And then he would cry out as he shed his blood, it is finished. I've done the work. I paid the price. And I love you. Come to me. Surrender your life to me. Believe in me. And then he was put into a grave and he rose again. He conquered sin and death and validated what he did on the cross and that he's the son of God. Will you come to him? Call out to him. He'll hear you right now. You can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me specifically and died for my sins. Forgive me. And I believe you're alive. And I ask that you would sit upon the throne of my life and my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to know you and walk with you. And I know that you're my hope. So thank you for this new beginning and bringing me into the family of God. Jesus name and listen if you prayed that prayer get a hold of us we want to encourage you and pray for you get a hold of us on email or phone get on our website calvarychapelgurley.org and just tell us the decision that you made but for you who perhaps that you've been away from the Lord the invitation is come and see remember what he's done for you and he loves you that this world is not your satisfaction or fulfillment. It will leave you disappointed. And Jesus, we're going to see next week, will say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You might be hungry, thirsting, because the world will leave you disappointed. Come to Jesus. Come back to him and walk with him. To experience the abundant life that he has for you. You can pray right where you are. Jesus, I come and I ask that, Lord, forgive me for turning to everything but you to be my hope and satisfaction for my fulfillment, my peace, my joy. And I, I come to you. And I want you to be the priority of my life, to guide me and direct me, especially in these days. And I thank you for receiving me. Forgive me. Help me to put away those sins, and the carnality and the worldliness, and to walk with you. And Lord, now as we prepare our families to have communion, I pray that you continue to bless us and to minister to us as we partake of the elements. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'm going to give you just a a quick minute to get your communion elements ready, uh, the bread and the cup. And we're going to partake of them. I'm going to read to you from uh, 1 Corinthians 
And I want you to pass out the communion elements to your family members, those who are partaking or if you're ready. And we have the worship team here. We're handing out communion elements to them right now. And Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, would say that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take of the bread together. Father, we thank you that Jesus went to the cross, allowed his body to be broken. He was flogged. He was beaten. They beat that crown of thorns on his head. He, he was pinned to that cross. He suffered in ways we can't possibly imagine, but he did it because of his love for us. And I thank you for the cross, for the sacrifice of Jesus, the suffering as a lamb that was led to the slaughter. And now that we have hope, and I also just think about his love for us as he went through the sufferings for every single one of us. And then Paul continues as in that same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. And Father, I thank you for Jesus on that cross shedding his blood for the forgiveness of sin. That we might be washed clean, forgiven. That we might have remission of sin taken away. Jesus died for us once and for all for our sins. And now we have eternal life and as we have faith in him, forgiveness. And I thank you for that. Thank you for the cross and for the empty tomb. And Lord, even as Paul would write, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We know that we have a wonderful future. Listen, I pray for you who are feeling downcast and afflicted, discouraged, defeated right now, emotionally, physically, spiritually, Whatever is going on in your life, he is coming home. He's going to take us home. He's going to come back and establish his kingdom. And we are going to have dinner with the Lord once again. We're going to be with him. And we are part of a kingdom that will last forever. We have a glorious future. Keep your eyes on him. He loves you to strengthen you, to bless you, because this world is not your hope. Jesus is. The coming kingdom is real. And the things that we see around us are pointing to his soon return. He's going to come for his church. But whatever's going on, Lord, I pray for your comfort, for your strength. I pray for your wisdom to be given, for your encouragement, your joy, your peace to be given to everyone who needs a touch from you this morning. As we enter into a new month, the uncertainty, we wonder what's going to happen, what's going on. What's the days ahead hold? 
Is it still going to be uncertain? It's so confusing. It's so difficult. Lord, that we know for certain this, that you are real and you are going to fulfill your promises to us. So bless everyone here, Lord. We look forward to continue to minister and bring light in the darkness. Bless your people. Strengthen us. I thank you for this morning. I pray that you would just minister to the needs of everyone here this morning in a very powerful and very special way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen.